Frankie, come. Come on. Atta boy. Come. Frankie, come. Good boy. Sit. Good boy. Down and stay. What a good boy. How about you? Can you sit down and stay for the next 30 minutes? I'm Devon from Canada, and this is Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. Hello there, and welcome to the March 2022 edition of Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. Prior to the onset of the pandemic, Several affiliates of Guide Dog Users Incorporated, otherwise known as GDUI, used to hold midwinter weekends called Top Dogs. At its 2019 weekend, the theme of the weekend was Thank You. So they held sessions such as Thank You Pups, Thank You Puppy Raisers, Thank you, schools. Thank you, veterinarians. And this one called Thank You, Patriots. In this first part of Thank You, Patriots, we're going to hear how veterans were so instrumental in the establishment of both the CNI and the Guide Dog Foundation. Ladies and gentlemen, um, we are about to begin our program thanks to the Patriots. And it, was, it is with humble hearts and a great sense of celebration and awe that we thank all veterans, no matter what war, no matter what time, no matter what place. And we in the guide dog movement owe a great debt of gratitude to our blinded veterans because it was the veterans in World War I that caught the imagination of Dorothy Harrison Eustace and the whole story of bringing the guide dog movement to the United States of America began and then World War II and our World War II blinded vets and the many, many wonderful schools that were founded as a result of World War II. So thank you from our hearts. And this is, as best as we can do it, a tribute to our patriots that we owe so much, not only for serving our country, but for having the courage to, for the first time, take that harness and say that word forward. And I don't know about you all, but that is one word that has never lost its magic for me, no matter how many times a day I say it, no matter where I'm going. And I'm sure all of you feel the same way. It is with deep regret that I tell you that unavoidably, Lucas Frank is not with us today. And we are very sorry about that because we know that you were all very much looking forward to hearing Lucas's inimitable story and style of presenting the early history of the veterans and the guide dog movement. But we have with us today a wonderful friend of the CNI, their outreach person, Chelsea White. And she and Lucas have, yeah, give Chelsea a hand. She <laughs> She's a, like all of us now, we're all a little bit nervous and taken aback. So uh, we're going to, we're going to turn this over to Chelsea. Please 
please listen. She's a little bit worried too, as am I, but with God's help, we're going to get through this and we are all going to be celebrating our wonderful patriots. So to cover the early movement and how it got started in this country about 90 years ago um, is our very good friend and, and guide, fellow mover in the cause, guide dog user, Chelsea White. Chelsea, do you need me, do you need me to hold the mic for you? Okay, here you go. Good morning, everybody. I was going to say, good morning, it's Lucas Frank, but... <laughs> yeah, that's right, I play him on TV. Um, Lucas told me to tell you, everybody, that he was very sorry that he couldn't be here, but they are the first to lose power and the last to get it back, and he didn't want to leave his wife alone to deal with that. So he is heading home at this point in time to wonderful weather. Anyways, so, you know... Blind people have been training their own dogs pretty much since the beginning of time, right? I mean, there's been blind people since there've been people. There's pictures, paintings on the walls of Pompeii. There's ancient China, all kinds of, of drawings and paintings out there that show blind people with dogs. We know that from those paintings and drawings and, and such that, you know, blind people have been getting out there and, and going and doing and training their own dogs for thousands of years. But it was really the start of, or the end of World War One that it became, and, and because of our veterans, that it became a sort of need, but, but even that, you know, more of, of a societal response that, hey, you know what, there's all these blind people now, what, what are we gonna do? Um, because before World War One, you know, blindness was considered sort of a curse, um, a curse from God. You know, if you were blind, you were generally, you know, shoved into a home or, or your, you know, family kept you in the house or whatever. After World War One and the use of gas, mustard gas specifically, thousands, hundreds, of, hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of men, some women, were coming back from the war either with low vision or totally blind. Before that, you know, blind people were the people the, on the corners, you know, begging and that kind of stuff. Now blind people were your brother, your husband, your father, your uncle, whatever. They were everywhere. So what do we do? Well, in Europe, because that's where the bulk of the folks who were blinded were, France and Germany specifically said, you know, what, what about training dogs? to help these people. So France and Germany started programs. Uh, Germany was successful um, and successful mostly because they were a very pastoral society. You know, they had lots of sheep and cows and that kind of thing. And they used dogs extensively to herd cattle, herd sheep, um, to protect farms, all that kind of stuff. So they were already very good with dogs, very good dog trainers, that kind of thing. So. Germany were the ones that were successful. The first official dog guide school was started in Oldenburg. And Paul Fion was the first graduate of that program. Um, so he was the first person in the world to receive a school-trained guide dog. And what I find really interesting in the notes that Lucas sent me was that he only passed away in 1971. It wasn't all that long ago, really. 
that, you know, he passed away. That school in Oldenburg, for the first couple of years that they were training dogs, they trained 600 dogs a year, which is amazing. I mean, that's huge. Um, and Lucas gives his presentation a lot in these O&M seminars that, that we do. And he, uh, he always says, you know, that that's a huge amount of dogs. And, you know, how did they do it? And then he says, they didn't really do it very well. <laughs> Which, which, which kind of is true. <laughs> um, basically what they were training the dog to do, because harnesses were very different than they are now. Harnesses were these sort of very flexible, the handle was this very flexible, almost like a leash. And it wasn't the rigid handle that we have today. So they um, basically trained a dog to sit anytime it perceived a threat. So stairs, curbs, those kinds of things. And then you would use your cane to detect that threat, the top of that step, the edge of that curb, whatever. And then you would pick your, your dog's harness handle back up and tell the dog forward and, and proceed. Well, so Oldenburg, they, they did their thing. Um, a couple of years later, another dog guide school got started in Germany in Potsdam. And Potsdam was more closely more related to the, to the, to the dog programs that we know today. Training was a little different. Harnesses were still the same, but training was still a, a little different. Dogs were taught to avoid obstacles more and, and things like that. The training was more closely related to what we see today. Potsdam was the school that Dorothy Eustace saw. Um, Dorothy was the one that started the seeing eye. She is also the one responsible for the guide dog movement around the world, really. Um, because Dorothy, not only did she, she start the seeing eye, but she started her own program in Switzerland where she was, where she was living at the time to train guide dog trainers to go back to their own countries and start dog guide schools in their own countries. So, um, guide dog schools in England, um, pretty much all the schools in Europe can pretty much trace their roots for the most part, um, back to Dorothy. So she started, started the schools in Europe, started dog guide movement in the, uh, in the States, um, with the seeing eye. We move on past world war one, get seeing eye started, um, get to the start of world war two. And at that point in time, there were only two dog guide schools in the country. Um, us and leader dog, seeing eye and leader dog. The day after World War II started, the board of trustees for the seeing eye um, decided to uh, train dogs for veterans um, for free. Normally we charge $150 for a person's first dog. And at that point in time, we decided to charge nothing for veterans. By 1950, we had trained 163 blinded veterans. And in that period of World War II, um, that was Morris Frank's sort of emphasis was going to the various training facilities around the country that worked with veterans and that kind of thing to share, you know, about dog guide travel and, and how dogs could, could help those veterans. In the sort of beginning of World War II, um, Congress promised money to start guide dog programs to help our veterans. By 1942, there were 27 guide dog schools in the country, 19 of which were in California, which is what prompted 
the California Guide Dog Board. The California Guide Dog Board did their thing. Most of those schools in California that started around World War II um, ceased and desist. Desisted? Is that a word? It is now. And um, and and we we got the schools that we have today: Guide Dogs for the Blind, Guide Dogs of America, Guide Dogs of the Desert. That takes us to kind of the end of World War II, and to the end of my piece. I, I just, I just want to say one really quick. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to the veterans in the room for your service. Like Debbie said earlier, to to those veterans that have come before us that you know picked up that harness handle and said forward. Um, just thank you. Chelsea just got those notes, and she was trying to listen to her iPhone. And so Chelsea is a real trooper, and we've always loved you, Chelsea, but we love you even more. Give her another round of applause. She deserves it. Before I turn the mic over to our next presenter, I want to share a little tiny tidbit of a story about Morris Frank. When I was maybe five or six, I was real little. Morris Frank came to the Maryland School for the Blind, where I was a student. And we didn't know anything. I mean, I knew nothing. I was a little just out of toddlerhood. So anyway, all I knew was we got out of doing something probably we didn't want to do. And we got to go into the auditorium and listen to somebody. So Morris Frank gets up on the stage. And of course, as a little girl, I had no idea of who he was, his fame, his fortune. And he tells the story about how he got Buddy. The dog was originally named Kiss, about how his trainer, Jack Humphreys, you know, back then those trainers were anything but politically correct. They did, they did whatever they had to do to get those big, bad veteran guys to get in shape and, and do what they were supposed to do. And so anyway, he tells this story, and I remember thinking this was so fascinating, but I remember thinking, he doesn't have any dog up on that stage. That dog isn't making any noise like my teddy dog does. And it, di it didn't wag its tail. It didn't do anything. And those of you who know me, I was big even as a child on making pronouncements. So when the thing was over, I said, well, that was very interesting, but that man did not have any dog up on that stage. I know he didn't. But anyway, anyway, it was years later, I mean, years later, when I was looking into the seeing eye to get my first guide dog, Libby Birdie, and I started reading and I go, holy crow, that was the man that told that really interesting story way back when that was Morris Frank. So I got to hear his voice and my memory is so clear about what he said because it was so interesting to me and I didn't know who I'd heard till maybe I hate to tell you how many years later <laughs> but anyway Morris Frank was a mover and a shaker and he probably wasn't politically correct and he sometimes put his foot in his mouth but you know what he and men and women like him were who we needed at the time and I want to share one more little thing. Several years ago, and most of you will remember who were at the GDUI luncheon, um, Seeing Eye brought Bill Mooney to, to perform the one-man show, The Story of the Seeing Eye. I can't remember what its exact title was, but anyway, there you go. Thank you. Anyway, what I will never forget, and I bet Bill Mooney will never forget either, 
when it came to the end of the story and he he is speaking as Morris Frank and buddy one is then so ill and they have to and the press who didn't say one word about it ever pick, helped but helped helped Morris pick that dog up and put her on the train and then he tells a story about how he was at the seeing eye working and she was kind of lying on a blanket or whatever in his office and he would go and talk to her and see her and he talked about the last, I don't know if I can get through this. And he talked about the last time he saw her and he said, and she lifted that beautiful head and gave me one little kiss and she was gone. And everybody in the room, all of us were sobbing our eyes out. And I'm sure that that was an experience that, that Mark, that Bill Mooney had never ever witnessed before. And this movement is as much about the heart as it is about good travel skills and what school you go to. And this celebration is for all of us and all the guide dog schools. It just happened to start first 90 years ago at the Seeing Eye. But this, is a, this presentation is dedicated to every guide dog school and every wonderful dog that you've ever had, past, present, or future. At this time, I'm going to turn the microphone over to our good friend, Janine Stanley, who works at the Guide Dog Foundation and also represents America's Vet Dogs. And I have asked Janine to talk a bit about more modern times and what, what vet dogs, both guide dogs for veterans and the veterans that are not but have other issues where they need dogs, to talk to us a little bit about this program. So, Janine, you're on. Here's the mic. Alrighty. I'm going to move over here where you are. Okay. righty. There we go. Hi, everybody. Well, <laughs> since we have two of our program graduates who are going to speak next, I'm going <laughs> to – I have to be good. Um, so, anyway uh, – I don't know if you all know, but the Guide Dog Foundation was one of those schools that was founded after World War II, as many of the, the other schools in this room have been. And we were founded by two veterans, basically, who um, wanted dogs, but there was a long wait at that point at a lot of the schools. And some of the less reputable programs were charging exorbitant amounts and, you know, things that's quite, that are quite familiar in the service dog world today. But... They decided that they were going to found a guide dog school, and they happened to know a trainer, Captain Haggerty, who was quite infamous and, and also not politically correct, so it, it was a theme, um, <laughs> and not exactly gentle in his training methods. So, But um, he took these two gentlemen, and they were, of course, both veterans, but they were also native New Yorkers, and he said, all right what do you need a dog to do to get through the wilds of New York City at this point? And so that's how they crafted their program. And so that was the beginning of the Guide Dog Foundation. Well, in 2003, I had the honor to be a board member when we began this process. We had a lot of wonderful guide dogs, but we also had, as many of the schools do, a high rate of dogs that were not making it through the guide dog program, but still had maybe stellar obedience, etc. Well, let me backtrack here a little bit, uh, hence the founding of Vet Dogs, but let me backtrack a little bit. The first service dogs for veterans, it's, it's documented, and yes, we will get a citation to you, <laughs> but it, is, it has been documented that 
After World War I, um, well, the term service dog is a military term for a dog in that time and place that served. And service dogs during World War I did a lot of different things. They helped carry bodies off the field. They were sentries. They carried messages. They helped wounded soldiers out of the trenches and off the fields. Well, as you can imagine, just like individuals have trained guide dogs to help them forever, wounded soldiers were coming back from World War I and saying, you know, I worked with this dog. I bet this dog could help pull me in a cart. I bet this dog could fetch things for me. And so that very small idea grew and grew over the years. And as we became more disability aware as a culture, not necessarily toward the veterans issues, but as we became more disability aware, more and more service dog programs began to meet the needs of people with disabilities who said, hey, look, dogs can do a lot of things. Well, we're going to flash forward to now uh, the history as after 9-11. Um, and all of those unfortunate events, the Guide Dog Foundation saw we had all these dogs. They were great dogs. And what were we going to do with them? And we, at that time, our training department was led by a man named Mike Sargent. A lot of people in this room know Mike, knew Mike, knew Mike. We were very sad to lose him uh, a few years ago. Um, but Mike actually said, well, why not do a service dog program? Because a lot of what we've learned from training guide dogs for the blind and working with blinded veterans over the years, a lot of this, plus there's a giant amount of wisdom out there from the other service dog schools. We can all learn about how to do this and we're using our dog and our dog resources more efficiently. So we said, okay, let's let's train service dogs. This is great. And one of the things that we learned from that training was, for example, the tasks that a guide dog does It doesn't have to be able to cross streets or judge traffic, but it may be able to follow someone through an airport. And that means that the gentleman with severe traumatic brain injury doesn't have to take an airport escort's arm now. He can walk independently, upright, using counterbalance with the dog pulling. How many of you feel better when your dog's got a nice hard pull? Yeah. How many of you walk straighter? Well, that happens to folks who have trouble with vertigo and things like that as well. So we're learning these things. We're learning about how to construct the harnesses. And we're asking the veterans, so what works for you? So we're going to really fast forward to today. How many of you saw the pictures of former President Bush's service dog? Yeah, yeah. He's one of ours. I saw him a couple weeks ago. <laughs> he came back to the Guide Dog Foundation. He's going to start his life now working as a a service dog, quote unquote, but he's going to be working at Walter Reed a National Military Medical Center. And what he's going to be doing there is helping with physical therapy so that people learn to walk again. And just like us taking our first walks independently with our dogs and feeling, oh my God, I'm a person again, you know, that's what I hear from class to class. We also work with dogs for PTSD and other mental health issues that our veterans are facing. Some are so severe that there is nothing a dog can do to help them. And it's a tough thing that we face. But for a lot of folks, just having the dog with them doing the tasks that it does to help with PTSD, with anxiety, and things like that allows this person to go out of their house again. Well, now how that transfers to everybody in this room is that guide dog schools are now saying, you know what? Some of these things are not difficult to teach. We teach a behavior called rest. 
which is basically meaning that your dog will put its head on you and stay there and in contact with you to help you calm down, to help you reconnect. How many of your dogs do that to you now? Yes, I bet a lot of them. That is a behavior you can shape and continue and train using your clicker training that you're getting. So these are all ways that we relate. And I'm gonna turn it over now to our next speaker and two guys that I just admire the heck out of and they're really good friends. So I'm, I'm gonna turn this over to them to tell you about what they do and what their dogs do for them. Next month, we'll present part two of Thank You Patriots, featuring a veteran who was recently blinded. And next month, actually, we'll land on Good Friday, April 15th. We'll close this half hour with a mystery, actually because I have no idea what the actual name of it. I call it, call me maybe guide dog parody, because uh, the tune is uh, quite familiar by uh, Canada's Carly Rae Jepsen, uh, but of course it has different words to it, and it was done by graduates from uh, one of the guide dog schools, but I have no idea which one, and uh, so if you know, please let me know. And that gives me an opportunity to give you my email address, which is spotlight at theglobalvoice.info. That's spotlight at theglobalvoice.info. Take good care. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you on April 15th. Bye for now. I was raised from a pup to walk and keep my head up. Learn when to go and to stop so I can guide your way. The kennel wait was so long. I trade my soul for a clong. But one day you came along and now I'll guide your way. My fur is shiny, big ears, tail ain't tiny, pink tongue, scratch my hiney. I'm so glad you came to find me. Hey, you just met me, and this is crazy, but I'm your guide dog, so trust me, baby. Hey, grab the handle, there's no maybe, cause I'm your guide dog, so trust me, baby. Hey, you just met me, and this is crazy, but I'm your guide dog. So trust me, baby, and when we cross the street, it don't faze me, cause I'm your guide dog. So trust me, baby. So our first walk wasn't grand. See, it's like learning to dance. Come on and give me a chance, and I will guide your way. And now with me at your side, you will learn how to glide. Hold your head up with pride, cause I will guide your way. My fur is shiny, big ears, tail ain't tiny, wet nose, scratch my hiney. I'm so glad you came to find me. Hey, you just met me, and this is crazy, but I'm your guide dog, so trust me, baby. Here, I stand at your side. When you need me, I'll stay hoping that you'll soon feed me. Hey, you just met me, and this is crazy, but I'm your guide dog. 
So trust me, baby, and I'm so happy. When you praise me, I work for your love. So give it daily. And now you came into my life. You make me so glad. You make me so glad. You make me so, so glad. And now you came into my life. You make me so glad. And you should know that. You make me so, so glad. Glad, glad, glad. I'll work for you in any weather. Safely, forward together. Hey, you just met me, and this is crazy, but I'm your guide dog, so trust me, baby. And when the sidewalk curves, just stay with me and throw your cane out. Now you walk freely.